Welcome to the Strategy Mom Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests. I have Mr. Cole Hicks, and I have James Lucy Lewis. Doug, I want to know the Lucy thing, man. Because yeah, I, so I, I, I call you Lucy. Some people call you James. Like, I call you Lucky. <laughs> right. Yeah. For everybody there's, out there that's watching there. right now or listening and don't know who you gentlemen are, let's start off with a couple origin stories before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation today. Uh, Cole, I'm going to go ahead and start off with you. What is that origin story that is Cole Hicks? <laughs> So I used to be on Broadway. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I've been in the Canadian auto space, uh, what, 25 years now? Um, you know, it's going on, you know. You might think I actually dye the gray. I make it look grayer on purpose. But um, no, so I, I've been in the auto space. Uh, you know, I grew up in Ontario. I uh, came out of school like all young guys coming out of college didn't know what to do. And then mom and dad had some friends that owned some car dealerships. And my dad says, uh, hey, look at Marvin's boat. They had a boat in the same marina as Marvin Starr and a few of these other guys. And go, they seem to make money selling cars. Why don't you try doing that? So I started selling cars. And that had to be, what was that, like probably 96, 97 started sort of thing. Started selling cars, uh, worked in Toronto, you know, the Roy Fosses and all those places. Ended up going out west for uh, a decade, actually. Um, I think I went out west in early 2000s, 2000. Uh, that's where I started getting into auto finance, prime and non-prime, worked at some really good places. Um, came back to Ontario after having a family, you know, being gone for a while. Mom and dad, they got placed up on the water, so wanted my kids to enjoy a summer versus, you know, snow in June. Um, that's Edmonton, by the way, little Edmonton plug. Um, and uh, I ended up moving uh, out of the retail side of the industry and worked with Dealertrack for seven years. And that was a great experience because it took me away from, you know, I've been in the stores ever since college, right? I've, I've been working, my first car job was Abcox washing cars when I was 15. So I've been in dealerships my entire life. But getting out of the retail side and going to the vendor side and an opportunity with a company like Dealer Track, I got to learn a whole new aspect of the industry, especially the finance side, the bureaus, um, the portal industry. And that's opened up the last, well, the last half, the last chunk of my career. And since then, I've done a bunch of stuff. You know, Dealer Track, um, I worked at a company recently, VP of Sales and Marketing. So I got to enter in the fixed off side. So really, you know, been selling cars or around cars a very long time now. Yeah, once it, once it's in your blood, it just kind of stays in there, right? Like you got bit by the bug, and once you kind of get bit by the bug, it's just it's in there forever. Hey, Lucy, well, how did uh, how did you get started in this crazy little business we call the automotive industry? Well, I can tell you my story is not as long as Cole's, uh, but. Uh... No, I, I'm I'm actually my two year anniversary was last week. Uh, I uh, I started with Canadian Auto Dealer two years ago, but uh, before that I was uh, business to consumer advertising sales for a, a fairly major, actually the largest media company in Canada, uh, and then various roles before that. But that one really opened me up to uh, the auto dealer space. Uh, imagine uh, traditional television and radio uh, auto dealers are the ones that, that 
traditionally still have budget for that type of media. So uh, that's how I got my my uh, teeth cut and uh, really enjoyed just the conversations with those those dealers. So uh, that really opened up uh, you know my eyes to the the world of automotive outside of uh, auto racing. And uh, from there, uh, I found a pretty uh, interesting position. Uh, actually, it found me. And uh, from, from there, I've, I've been in the role with Canadian auto dealer, uh, plugging away happy, uh, working with, uh, with dealers, but uh, mostly with, with vendors. And, and one thing I've learned is that it's, uh, it's not a quiet room. Uh, it's always a fun room. There's a lot of energy, no shrinking violence. So, yeah, it's a spot I think uh, uh, I'll find myself for a long time, I hope. Hey, you just piqued my interest. You said auto racing. Do you have some relationship to that? Uh, yeah, I build and race uh, endurance cars myself. So I have, uh, yeah, yeah you, an Audi guys. Nice. Yeah. You know, the, I, uh, the more I talk to Lucy, the more this becomes interesting, right? Like, I mean, beside the crazy awesome beard that he has now, you know, yeah. it's the auto racing, the long range shooting. Like this is, Lucy just seems like a cool guy. Like, I want to go Lucy, hang out I, with you, Lucy. I saw you just a couple months ago, and you were clean-shaven, so I'm impressed. Ah, it's, uh, it's, the, the gray wasn't even there until about a week ago. Yeah. So um, you built – I want to hear more about the cars. You got me a little geeked out on that. A uh, little bit of my story, and I sold my rock crawler last summer, but I'd been in the off-road community both out west and here and built a crawler. So, yeah, you got me, uh, you got me interested we need to talk about that. Well, you know TMR and New Market. Uh, I know Tim quite well. They, uh, I bought the original amount of the, the original steel to build the roll cage in my uh, my endurance car from that. So yeah. Did you buy one of their chassis, like their pre-built chassis? You just bought the steel out of Tim. Bought the steel and then uh, bent it myself, welded it myself. My brother-in-law and I. Nice. Yeah, so it's a home-built uh, 550 horsepower Audi. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that's just fun passion right there. That is that is so cool. So I imagine, you know, in fact, that's a good segue actually into a kind of our first question of kind of like, what is the current norm for you? So, uh, James, I'll start off with you. Actually, do you want to go by James? Do you want to go by Lucy? Let me just correct something. Lucy, yeah. only Lucy, please. Okay, only, okay, Lucy. Okay. only Lucy. I apologize. All right. Only Lucy. All right, Lucy. Um, that's actually a good place. So what is that current norm for you? Are you, are you spending a lot of time in the garage? Are you you're working on cars? Are you on the phone with the dealers? What, what's the current norm look like for you uh in all honesty there it's funny because the new normal is not normal my days are longer and uh having a lot more conversations over the phone than, than i've ever had in my life um mostly with vendors uh because we're creating a boatload of content now like everyone is we're you know we're, we're creating content and uh that's all coming from the vendor community that's giving back to the auto dealer community so uh my days are are uh, definitely longer, a lot more on the go, which is a great thing. Uh, a little less time in the shop, to be honest, because the supplies I need for the race car just aren't making it. Um, across the border, a lot of the stuff comes from the U.S. So, yeah, it's mixed. Uh, the day-to-day -day is still a go, which I'm very happy about. Still get some time in the shop around the welder, but uh, not as much as I'd hope. So uh, James, or sorry, Lucy, I'm going to get that right, man. So Lucy, um, right now you're talking to a lot of dealerships yeah. out there. What, you know, what are they saying? What do you, what, what are you kind of getting a feel for the temperature of everyone right now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think this week was a bit of a crux. Um, up to this point, it was crisis aversion. How do we do business? What are we going to do? How do we get ahead? And now there's the thought and the shift. It's almost paradigm where dealers are starting to say, now we have to plan for the future. 
Um, if they haven't been planning all along, now's the time for them to focus on their businesses going forward. Uh, and good operators have been doing that forever. But uh, I, and I shouldn't distinguish between good and bad operators uh, because I like to think they're all good operators. But now there's a real focus of instead of working in the business, let's work on the business and, and find the, the new way forward. Interesting. Cole, for yourself, uh, you're out there talking to a lot of people right now. What, what do you feel like the current temperature of the kind of automotive industry is? You know, so I've actually been talking a lot more vendors and dealers recently. Uh, a lot of companies on this side of the fence that are figuring out how they survive or now with the dealers not spending money, you know, anything with a SaaS model or a SaaS bill on it, that's being cut drastically. And yeah, absolutely. It's been panic mode, as Lucy, I almost called you James Tip, as Lucy said. Um, but now it's, uh, you know, trying to find the solutions. You know, um, I had a great conversation with a colleague the other day, and I think we've all been seeing it in Ontario. There's been some legislation, there's been some associations that maybe been making it a little tough to get cars down the road because they don't quite comply. So I think a lot of people are trying to solve the problems and we're going to get, we're going to get answers coming down of how to deliver a car, how to verify insurance, how to do paperwork, how soft signatures aren't needed. Hey, I've been on the vendor side for a while. And in my last role, we sold North America wide and you know, the norm, you know, the difference for the norm for me right now is my kids are home all day, every day, and I'm trying to keep them occupied. Now, I got two boys, and I like them to be active, and unfortunately, every sport, everything they normally do is done. So, you know, I can't say I'm working more hours than I used to. I definitely used to work more hours. Um, but in a home office environment, right, we did contracts via DocuSign. We ran CRM tools. We did email campaigns. We did cold calling. We like most of the dealers I've sold to in the last few years have never once met me in uh, person other than one of the events. And I've never been in their showrooms. And unfortunately, these guys haven't been able to utilize the same technologies to help them sell cars right now. That's actually, that's a great point. In fact, a good segue actually kind of into what my, my next question is for you guys is, you know, kind of what your thoughts and opinions are of kind of what this new norm is going to look like. I mean, I, I look during the recession, all right, there was, there was a monster buildup of demand and we came out of that recession and, you know, it's like the industry just kind of went and just kind of exploded and we rode that way for quite some time. And, you know, we've been running double digit gains like quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. After quarter. You, know, we, you know, this last year, we finally just kind of plateaued out. We were going into this new year all also, I think we've kind of a plateau. So, you know, I think a lot of people have already been kind of discussing, you know, like what they need to do next. But the one thing I found interesting is during the recession, you know, that I'm finding right now is that a good operator is a good operator. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what, what what's going on. They're, they're a good operator. And I think right now for myself is going into this new norm is that just half-assing it is just not going to cut it anymore. Like you gotta make a very hardcore commitment to your customers, all right, and give them the ability to kind of steer the direction of that process if they're going to succeed. But enough of my kind of thoughts and opinions. I actually kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts as far as you know what we're going to see going into this new norm. Whenever the hell that happens, I'm not gonna pretend like I know what date it is. I love how people are magically throwing dates out. They're like, oh, the second Tuesday of June will be back to normal. I don't know what the hell. Anyways, Cole, I'll start with you. Um, how do you see the new norm kind of progressing for us? 
I think, uh, you know, I'm going to talk digital retailing for a minute. And obviously, I was kind of keen into that a moment ago. You know, and I, I got a little bit of experience there because when I was with Dealer Track, we were just bringing in digital retailing to the Canadian market. And it's been a buzzword for quite some time. It's been a huge buzzword, but it, it hasn't been true. Until you can introduce finance, wet signatures, or versus, I mean, digital signatures versus wet and home delivery, it's not really being digital retailing yet. And I think what we're going to discover is by force and necessity, because our consumers right now are getting trained to buy online. Um, hey, most of us are Amazon shoppers and we buy things online. There's a huge part of the um, you know, population that have never done that or that's not the norm. Well, unfortunately, it's the norm now. It, you want groceries, you order them online and do a curbside pickup. You want something from Lowe's, you order online, you do a curbside pickup. I think we're going to now train our population into expecting that type of experience from the dealers. And I think our dealers, as much as they want to be able to do that, things are going to have to change to help them do that. I think credit, um, ID verification, um, fraud, my God, that's a whole conversation, but we're going to see crazy fraud opportunity come out of this. But what's the new norm? I think we're going to be able to tie showroom to digital and digital to showroom, but there's some hurdles to get past that. I'm with you. I think, um, you know, the, I love how people call it the new norm. And I, in fact, I'm trying, I should probably use a new term because really what we're talking about is not new, you know, I mean, 15 years ago, I was drop shipping Corvettes all across the country. Sight unseen, you know, they, they actually deliver it and pick it up at a notary's office so that the notary can actually determine that it is the right person that has actually signed the documentation. Like, it's not necessarily new. It's just, I think the customers always kind of wanted it. It's just, we've just held back for so many years saying, we're not going to give this to you. We're not going to give this to you. We're not going to give this to you. We're going to hold on to it. We're going to hold on to it. I have a good point on that. Actually, it's not the new norm. It's been a subprime pre-approval and funding process for 20 odd years. A long time. In 2002, we were delivering cars everywhere in Alberta. We were sending contracts. We were doing everything via email fax. It has not been a regular retail experience. It, it's been the non-prime or subprime experience. And now we're going to adopt some of those processes that have been done in that realm over to here now that's yeah very true. I, I agree I, with that Lucy, i'd like to hear your thoughts on this too how do you see the new norm kind of progressing for us yeah so the novel norm is what i'll call it on my side but uh i like really that. i i agree i agree uh, with, with cold that this is the harbinger of change uh we've talked about it in the industry for 10 years uh that this is coming and until there's a major you know mitigating factor that forces it to happen it doesn't happen right we just continue to do business as we've always done business because that's how we'd be, we've been successful for a hundred years. And now this is changing it. There's no way you can, you can neglect the digital journey, the, 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 the lead up, you know, we've been talking about digital retailing from a marketing standpoint and, and all the vendors in the world saying, well, we can help you market your business online. And that gives you a di digital presence and your digital retailing, but it really wasn't. No. It was just a way to find cars. And then for you to hopefully have your salesperson pick up the phone, invite them to the dealership and then do business inside the dealership for three hours. And or a streamliner or a macro credit app, right? A form submission isn't digital retailing. No. And, and who in their right mind is going, I shouldn't say, but who in their right mind is going to fill out a form uh, if you're going to buy something on Amazon? You want to buy your groceries, for example, are you going to fill out a form first? No, you're going to 
do everything stem to stern and then go pick it up. So I think what's going to happen in the dealership is be more of a hybrid approach and that, that omni channel approach that everyone talks about where it's up to the, the customer. And I think what's going to enable that is uh, more of a one touch sales uh, process. So when looking at F and I, and then putting that into the digital journey up front and allowing mm-hmm. customers to have the ability to choose the entire package, they can go to the dealership if they want to, or if they don't, uh, but that journey is exactly how they want it to be shaped. Instead of forcing the customer into a, a certain box um, yep. in the journey, now opening up and saying, hey, you know what, it's safe. If you want to come into the dealership, we can serve you here. If you want to do this entirely at home and we deliver everything to you and everything's digital, we can do that. Absolutely. And it'll be received. Like I always re- uh, reference Brian from Paragon Honda. I'm sure you both know them and their story. Um his online presence, his service, how they how they changed. Um, but they have kiosks in the showroom. You can come in and you know do your financing on a kiosk and be ready to sign contracts in 15 minutes. It's because the in-store matches the online, and the online can match the in-store, and they're connected. Doesn't mean that I have to, and that's one of the biggest hurdles for the longest time is. I might do all this pricing structure, trade evaluation, everything, black book online, and I walk in the store and we start the five hour sales process again. Yeah, Does we can't have actually that. like a five hour sales process. Like I just I'm just I've yet to meet someone who goes, Oh God, that was the best five hours I ever spent of my life. I can't wait to do that again in four years. <laughs> It'll be a little not every dealership's like that. There's we all I can name off a handful of phenomenal operators that are clean, smooth, efficient, but uh, I'm I'm being a little cheeky, right? Yeah, and it's 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 funny because I've so previously I worked in an Apple store. I was an expert in the prairies. And uh, one of the, the most interesting things is there are people that want to spend an hour and a half, two hours with you, as long as they're being efficient and they're only talking to you know the minimal amount of people you own that journey they own it with you you, you know you become a trusted advisor well that's, so, that's yeah, good there point. Are i mean some... i think as long as there's value in the time then it's 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 perfectly fine but i think i think the issue is is that um our traditional sales process doesn't necessarily bring value to the customer as much as it brings just value to me as the dealership you know i think what we're forced to now is we have to kind of reevaluate and it's you know in this very competitive time which is what will be now and the moving forward even more so competitive is you know how can i bring value to that customer, how do I exceed that expectation? You know, more than just being able to sell them a car. What's you know, where can I? How can I connect with them at that next level? Cole, what are your thoughts? Well, okay, a moment ago you talked about putting a you know round peg through a square hole and vice versa, and it actually has me thinking about that kids game that has the triangle, the square. That every customer has a different need, a different expectation, and it has me thinking. You know, okay, so digital retailing and being able to purchase a car online and pick my F&I package and finance and have it show up, it's not going to work for everyone. But there is a segment of the population that that's how I want to buy a car. A buddy of mine bought the fifth household car a year ago, and he was calling me all the time going, so why are they asking me these questions? And then, you know, ultimately it comes down, he's at one shop, and he's driven this one Toyota. It's for one of the kids. He's never going to sit in his life. He just wants a deal. And the guy's asking, oh, you got to go on the test drive or I need the credit card before I can give you numbers. He's like, I don't need to go for a test drive. I've been in one. 
Aren't they all the same? And honestly, I'll never be in this one again. So once again, people are trying to shoehorn him into a process that wasn't hit. Like, honestly, also what I'd say was, have you shopped somewhere else before? Do you want to drive it? Do you want a number? What do you want the number to be? Guy would have signed probably like a five-minute deal. Um, mm -hmm. But that has me steering back to every consumer is going to have a different way they need to be treated and handled. We've almost gone full 180 because we can't do in-store right now. It's going to be all online. But at some point, they're going to come back. And I think we're going to have to be able to marry the two. Well, let's talk a little bit about that about the time where we do come back, right? Like, what does that reality kind of look like? I mean, I don't know if it's a couple months from now. I don't know if it's a couple weeks from now. Hell, I'm not even going to pretend like I know when it's going to you know, be back to normal. No. But at some point in time, the government's going to come out and tell everybody, okay, come out of your cave. You can come explore now, you know. But even with that said, like, we're not going back to normal. You know, I was talking to a neighbor, you know, across the street the other day. And, um, you know, who was taking the train from Milton to Toronto, you know, every single day. Doesn't actually own a car. Well, they own one car, but that's just for the weekends, you know. And I say, like, so are you, when you, are you going to take the train again? He's like, hell no, I'm not getting back on that train. You know, so he's like, he already asked me. He goes, Jason, I'm thinking about just getting one of those cheap Corollas. You know, those ones that are like 300 bucks a month. And he's, I'm like, cause I'm like, yeah, that, that works well. He goes, okay, cool. I'll buy one of those. But it was the way he was talking about it was so, so nonchalant, you know, just like, yeah, all right, fine. Yeah. 300 bucks. I said, okay. That'll fit my needs. But I think that's going to be kind of a new norm for a fair amount of people. You know, yeah. it's going to change how people react. Well, it's, it's also interesting to think where we are right now, because we're sitting in the prime shopping windows, right? Uh, let's say a nine week sales process where people start doing their research nine weeks out before the purchase. That was six weeks ago. Uh, that's when people started doing their shopping. And let's say this lasts another week, another month, another two months. All that's going to happen is those people that aren't buying cars right now are building up in a queue as a crush that are still going to need to buy a car at some point when they're able to. So whether they're in store or they're doing this fully online or some sort of hybrid along the way, the ones that are going to succeed are the dealers that can accommodate that. That A, can get inventory quickly and B, can satisfy the customer's the way they need to be satisfied. And I think that's the big thing right now is that dealers are sitting on inventory that can't move, but at some point it's going to. It's, it's just going to, there's no way that it's going to well, sit it, there. It's for how you accommodate. Year. Like, let's talk about that, right? Because I think, you know, what it is, is like, and Cole, you were mentioning it. It's like, you kind of have to give the options, you know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm getting, getting annoyed with people that are thinking that digital retailing is, is a piece of technology when it's not, it's, it, it's a process. Yep. Like we're, we're talking about a process now. Are you, are you going to use some tech to simplify elements of that process? A hundred percent. Right. And that's normal. We've always done that. Right. But I, I think what it is, is that we can't have one process anymore. I think no. a dealership needs to train, develop and coach its staff for five different processes. And the customer is going to have to choose which one of those they feel more comfortable, you know, participating in when it kind of comes back to that new norm. What's your guys' thoughts on that? Um, you know what you just described, and someone asked me a little while ago what I did, and you know, instead of me saying I was a salesperson, I called myself a problem solver. And I've always trained the guys around me to be solution-based selling. Discover the problem, offer a solution. And I think that's hitting exactly what you just said, is that the dealership, it's not going to be the seven steps of selling a car, the Joe Verde version, uh, get a credit card before offering payments, four bucks, it's going to be, what is the problem with the person in front of you and how do we solve that problem? And is that online? Is it in person? Does it require a test drive? Does it not require a test drive? 
is it dropping off on the house? Is it not dropping? Like, it's customer experience. Jason, you and I have talked about customer experience before. How, how do we sell a product? Create an experience, make sure that experience solves a problem. Normally, you can sell something when you're doing those uh, steps together. And I think that's what we're going to see. How do, we, how do we continue to create the experiences of the bar, uh, car buying experience? And how do we solve these modern problems we now have? Like, you can't do a wet signature, or you can't test drive in a driveway, or you can't, like, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what's going on. It's crazy, but I think it's actually good at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's actually really healthy for us that we're getting kind of a kick in the ass in, in the sense that we, we're going to have to create a process that's more relevant to the customer and benefits them more than it benefits us. You know, yeah, like we yeah. know the, you know, for, uh, for the longest time, we get them into the dealership for a three and a half hour thing. All right. We know that benefits us. I'm going to wear this person down until they buy a car from me. <laughs> you know, it's like, I hate to say it. I mean, I remember some of the first deals five hours into the guy goes, fine. I don't Whatever. Fine. I'll just sign it. Yeah. Can I leave now? Can I leave? I said I didn't want that under coding. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? See what I can do about that, right? Um, Lucy, I, I, you work, you're talking and working with a lot of vendors right now. And you yeah. know, I'm just kind of curious from the vendor perspective, all right, of, you know, what, what is kind of the conversation that's going on around the water cooler when it comes to vendors? And, you know, what, how do they see the new norm kind of developing out? I guess it really depends on what sector they, they operate in, right? Somebody in CRM is going to have a very different thought than somebody that operates in F&I or out, operates in staffing or training. Um, the, the big concern right now and has been for the last five weeks has been vendors really need to, well, they, they know they need to support their dealers. And, and that's yep. the way the process has been going, whether it's uh, offering discounts or offering you know, free product or, you know, switching their manufacturing process to, to create um, hand sanitizer to supply their, their customers. It's all, the, the shift has been around less, how can we get something out of the dealers and how can we provide more value? They're doing the same thing. They're finding solutions to problems that dealers never wanted to have, never expected to have. So over the five weeks, really what it's been has been vendors providing those solutions to dealers and then trying to tell dealers about them without spending any money. It's it's the truth. If you're not asking dealers for money, there's no revenue coming in. There's absolutely no way to market it. And the challenge is marketing managers, whether you're in a dealership or you're in a vendor, your job is to spend money. If you can't spend money, you're, you're pretty much hamstrung. So uh, the challenge has been getting that, that content. You know, how do we get what we have going out to dealers effectively and efficiently? Uh, so that's the way uh, I've seen the last four weeks. This week's actually seen a bit of a, a really interesting change where the same with dealers, uh, vendors are starting to say, this is going to break. You know, as the good weather comes, this is going to break. And hopefully it's going to mean, you know, we're back up and running. And, and they're starting to strategize, of, you know, what does May look like? What does June look like? And starting to really build a, a bit of a, a strategy to hit the ground running when it does come back. Because they realize dealers are going to need to sell. And uh, they need to sell into dealers as well. You know, just adding to that, I think the realization this is not a two-week thing. You know, we've, we've come in past two weeks. We've come in past three weeks. We're into four weeks. Okay, this is real. So no more Netflix. How do we figure out how to actually move forward? Absolutely. One of the interesting things I've thought that's come out of all of this 
is that there's downtime. And if dealers are taking advantage of the, the subsidies from the government to try to keep staff employed, why aren't they focused on training? Why aren't they using this time to make the best staff they can have so when people come back? Because having a piece of technology is great, but if you don't have the people to actually operate it properly, the technology is useless. Well, I think that's a good point. In fact, actually, that's a perfect lead, kind of lead way into our, my next question for you guys is preparation. You know, look, as an industry, you know, all three of us have been around long enough to know that we have a reputation in the industry for being, um, for being reactive. Right, we just kind of react, you know. But I think this is a perfect time for actually for us to get proactive in our marketing efforts, proactive in our training efforts. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions of what a dealership should be kind of doing right now to be proactive and get prepared for what's to come. Uh, Cole, I'll start with you. Yeah, you know, I think sorry guys, I lost audio for a moment there, but I think I've got the gist of it. Um, I signed up for uh, like I've been using this Udemy course, which is an online learning platform. I signed up for an advanced Google Sheets course today. Um, why not sharpen up a skill set? I look at a lot of Excel's and Google Sheets, so you know, why don't I take some extra hours and um, hone a skill? And I, I posted on LinkedIn this morning, but I, I think it's the same thing. You know, you got a lot of staff that are laid off, sit at home. What would the investment to a dealership be if they um, did the Grand Cardones or did the a program and put a training program for the next four weeks together for their teams? Engagement, probably less turn for staff. They come back, minimal expense, probably completely written off by the government and subsidies, but yeah, I completely agree with you, Lucy. Um, you know, there. so we can't necessarily sell cars right now or not at the same volumes or not all the same people. But what are the million things we wish we'd been doing, um, but we've been too busy to do? Got some time on your hands. Lucy, what are, what are your kind of thoughts? And I, actually, I'm going to change yours just a little bit I'm more on the vendor side. Because uh, I feel like you, you got that pulse really solid on the vendor side. How can vendors right now, you know, get prepared, you know, to assist the dealerships in being proactive? That's a great question. And I think part of it is coming out of their shell. Uh, as Cole mentioned, this isn't two weeks. This isn't a, we can stop doing what we're doing. And then when it comes back, there'll be no changes. I think the big thing is, is that as this drags on, dealers are realizing that or maybe they're not realizing, but you know, as a vendor is, is offering a discount on whatever the, the, the program is, uh, vendors or dealers are starting to say, well, what am I spending my money on? They're actually taking stock of, of what works for them. You know, the, the term, you know, $99 or $299 to death. Just um, one more car sale. Just one more. Right. And they're taking stock in that. I think, um, everyone has, and, and we talked about this at NADA, is that everyone is being a lot more strategic in the way they partner with their partnerships. So dealers are looking at strategic partnerships with their vendors. And I think uh, aligning, you know, that, you know, with, and, and it goes back to knowing exactly what their dealers need. If Is it a growth within the dealership and getting them to, to grow out with more of the products within your umbrella? Or is it growing with more dealerships with one core piece of your product? And I think really what vendors need to do is, is hash out that plan. Are we growing with the dealers that we already have great partnerships with? Or are we going to use this as an opportunity to leverage dealers that may be open to change that were not open to change before, right? And as more platforms, let's say digital retailing platforms come on the market for omni-channel digital retailing platforms, 
you know, that has to be a strategy that those vendors have you know, carved out. Is it conquest or is it growth from within? No, that's, that's very true. I mean, I think at the end of the day, as vendors, as dealers, and just businesses in general that, you know, we're going to have to provide more value than we've ever provided in the past. And, you know, I think, I think what it is, is that there's going to be coming out of this, there's going to be demand, you know, but we, we're going to need to be prepared for that demand. We're going to need to be able to work with the customers as far as how they want to engage and how they want to interact with us, not necessarily how we have defined they should be able to engage with us. Um, I know it's getting towards the end of our time today, guys, and I want to thank you so much for jamming with me today. This has been a lot of fun. But before we go, I could ask my favorite question. And uh, I know you guys had a little time to think about this during the podcast. So Cole, I'm going to start off with you. Cole, what is pissing you off? The fact that it's fucking snowing outside. <laughs> I know it's it's April and it's like, what the hell? I, uh, I mean, cooped up inside for so many months and then uh, I got out and I raked my lawn and fertilized yesterday and now it's snowing again. And um, that <laughs> would be one thing of many. Um, you know, I wish actually, you know what? I, I just want to say like, so on my window, a little pop about that strategy out on the East Coast and, uh, you know, I just got a little news feed. So I want to take a second and give all the best wishes and uh, my support to all the people out there. And uh, it's absolutely awful what we're starting to hear about. So um, I, I wish everyone the best and be safe. And I know it's challenging times for everyone. So I don't know. Maybe that answered the question somewhat. It does. It does. You hate the weather. We get it. I hate the weather. <laughs> I want hey, some. Hey, Lucy. All right, you're up, man. What is pissing Lucy Lewis off? Well, there's a lot of stuff that I can't talk about because it would be very, very poorly received. So I'll leave that stuff behind. Personally, my uh, my biggest issue is that uh, of the six races in the endurance racing series uh, this year, uh, they look like they're not going to start until August. So we're probably going to miss half the season at the very least. Uh, definitely nothing in the U.S. Can't hit Watkins Glen next month. Can't hit Gingerman. Uh, so that, that that's a bit of a kick in the pants. Obviously, yep. I'll echo what Cole said as well, that uh, in the grand scheme of things, um, what what I'm pissed off about that, that affects me is really nothing in the grand scheme of things. Oh, no, boo-hoo. I don't get to go race a car around a track with a bunch of buddies. Um one thing I'll say is I have a friend that, that owns an independent service station and uh, they have a contract with a, with a police force. And um, one of the things that, that one of the mechanics had heard over the, uh, over the, the radio was very distressing and depressing uh, to hear that there are people in the community going through a lot of mental health issues right now yeah. uh, as a result of losing jobs and being stuck at, at home. And that's the stuff that hits home when you hear something like that, that, you know, there are people out there suffering silently um, that, you know, they, they don't make the news. And uh, obviously everything that happened on the East Coast is terrible. But, you know, there are hundreds of others every day that go through a very silent battle. And uh, it's just uh, making sure that, that and we check on our neighbors and we check on the people we care about and make sure everyone's getting through it. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well said, well said Lucy. Hey, hey guys, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now, and would love to connect with the both of you and kind of follow along, you know, with what you guys do. What is the best way to do so, Cole? I'm going to start with you. So two ways: um, Cole at AutoCorp.ca 
or uh, my cell number, 705-896-5816. Make sure you guys call for a good time. Hey, um, <laughs> I was like, oh, you totally set that up for me. Thank you, by the way. Um, <laughs> Lucy, for everyone out hey, there I watching and listening. Could you stand up, Jason? No, absolutely not. I don't even have pants on. Stand up. I don't have pants on. Let's do it. No. <laughs> you guys, you guys want to see? You want to see? Okay, fine. Here we go. Ready? Check this out. Oh, see, I'm wearing shorts. Oh, wearing shorts. <laughs> shorts. Dude, it, it's it's all business up here. All casual down there. Um, you know, I don't think I've actually put shoes on for like a week. <laughs> it's the best thing ever i love it <laughs> sorry anyways i digress all right uh lucy you're up what is the best way to connect with you sir uh my email address is a little tough it's j lewis l-e-w-i-s at universus media.com uh it's that's a tough one so i'm gonna say the easiest way what's that we will S's. definitely have to add that into the comments down right? below. <laughs> uh, I think the easiest way to find me is LinkedIn. Uh, it's James Lucy Lewis. Uh, probably the only guy with uh, quotation marks in his LinkedIn profile. So follow me there. The easiest way, James Lucy Lewis at LinkedIn. That's probably my best way. My Cole Hicks uh, LinkedIn profile. That's how I found you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you call for a good time? I'm just kidding. I did, yeah. That, but that was on a bathroom stall in the Queens and Barry. <laughs> wow, this Barry. podcast just took wow. a totally different direction. Wow. <laughs> hey, guys, thank you so much for taking the jam- the time to jam with me today. I really appreciate it. You guys have yourself a good one, all right? 